You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. We don't have any lease on life, do we? But we have a resurrection hope, a hope that one day if we walk with God, if we put our trust in Christ, that death, death is just a doorway to life eternal, right? And we believe that life actually begins here and now because Christ is risen. This is why we're talking about the resurrection. We decided we'd continue the theme of resurrection all the way through the day of Pentecost or what we celebrate in Christendom as the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit is poured out on the early church. And uh, that will be sometime in June. But as we ramp up into that, um, we want to talk about the resurrection encounters, the post-resurrection encounters that Jesus has with several of his disciples. It's interesting to me that Jesus, when he is risen from the dead, he doesn't go straight to the Roman Empire or the emperor or Herod or anybody that you know, was in power at that time. He could have done that. He could have done a bunch of miracles, but he doesn't do that. He keeps it somewhat on the down low. He, it, the resurrection kind of remains as a rumor amongst his disciples until they finally get it. And today we're going to look at a passage where there was a couple of disciples that had Jesus standing and walking right next to them, but they didn't recognize him. And and here's the thing. Uh, I'm going to tell you the story, and then I'm going to focus on the point when they realized it was Jesus. Because that moment where Jesus opens their eyes and they see that and recognize that it's him, that moment is very instructive for our lives today and for our daily life and how we think about our love for God and our walk with God. So... Um, let me start out by telling you the background of this story. They had, they had this problem of recognizing Jesus, but it started out in all of their disappointment and sadness. These two disciples are walking down a road called the road to Emmaus. Emmaus is a town in which they lived, and we want to think, the one, the one of the disciples, his name is Cleopas, so say Cleo, that's his name, Cleo, and we think, some people think that uh, the person that was with Cleo, the other disciple who remains unnamed, was Cleo, Cleo's wife. So let's just say they're husband and wife, and they're walking down this road to Emmaus. Um, and Jesus kind of sneaks up on them and walks, starts walking beside them. But as they're walking, they're talking about everything that's happened in Jerusalem the past three days. How Jesus was you know, betrayed and how he died and was crucified. And, then, and, and they start talking about all this, and they're all sad and disappointed. And Jesus rolls up on them. And he goes, What's, what you all talking about? And, and they're like, haven't you heard? Haven't you been reading the Jerusalem Twitter feed? Right? There's, there's, there's stuff that's been going on, and you, you're like clueless, man. And Jesus is like, well, what, what things are you talking about? So they start to tell him. It's funny because they start to talk to Jesus about Jesus. And, and so, you know, they're, they're talking about Jesus, and then they say these words. They say, you know, we had hope that he would have been the one to rescue us. Meaning to say, he claimed to be the Messiah. We had hoped he was really the Messiah because we've seen all kinds of Messiahs come and go. And they went just like he did. They got killed. And so, (laughs) here's the really crazy part. So they say, we had hoped he was the Messiah to rescue us. And then they say these words. And this is in Luke 24. They say, then... And remember, they're talking to Jesus about what's happened to Jesus. They says, then, Jesus, then they, some of the women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning. 
They came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who had told them that Jesus is alive. <laughs> and then, of course, back in those days, you couldn't believe, they didn't hold a woman's testimony true in court. So, you know, those women, because you know how women are, they just da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, all right? And so they're like, the women gave us an amazing report, and we wouldn't have believed it, because, you know, who can believe a woman when she talks, right? That's how it was back in the day. But they said, but then some of our men ran out to see if what the women had said was true. And sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Now, if I were Jesus, at that moment, that would have been the perfect time to say, dude, it's me. Like, ta-da, I'm here. It's true, right? The revelation. But Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus calls them fools. He says, you, you foolish people and slow of heart to believe. Like... It's not exactly the thing you would want to say to somebody who's discouraged and sad and grieving. Call him a fool, right? Jesus basically kind of like a verbal slap in the face. Wake up and smell the coffee because I'm about to take you to school. And so Jesus, this is so powerful. And maybe it's because I'm a, you know, I, I went to theological school and stuff, but it's like having the, the word incarnate, Jesus himself, breaking open the written word and explaining the Bible in person to you. That would be so cool. I would love to have signed up for that lecture. Because they're walking on the road. It's about a three-hour journey or so. And Jesus starts from the beginning of the Hebrew scriptures, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, then to the Psalms, then through the prophets. He starts showing them in the written word where he is. This is where I show up, guys, in the written word. Didn't you see it? Didn't you ever see this before? And they're just, their minds are being blown away. They're like, whoa, I never saw that. That is so cool. That's where the Messiah is. Here's the interesting thing. These guys are headed in the wrong direction, which is why no matter what kind of understanding they have of the Bible, even with Jesus explaining it to them, they still don't recognize Jesus. You can follow Jesus, but sometimes in certain seasons of your life, be moving in the wrong direction, be moving away from Jesus. This is where they were moving. They were moving away from him. See, if I were them... I would have said, man, after the women's report, after, the, after Peter, some of the men who said his body was gone, I would have stuck around at least one more night in Jerusalem, wouldn't you? Let's just see how this turns out. But instead, they head off and go home. They move away from where the risen Christ was. And the cool part about Jesus is he walks up right next to them. He opens their understanding, even though they're walking in the wrong direction, Ever been there? Even though you're walking in the wrong direction, you'll come to church or you'll turn on the TV or you'll, turn on the, you'll get online and you'll hear something that you go, oh, that's different. Mm, that, that tugs at my heart. The word of God, the truth begins to speak to your heart. And yet, they didn't recognize him. And you see, the cool thing here is that even though they didn't recognize him, Jesus still stuck it out with them. He walked them through. 
Sometimes, you know, I think God does a similar thing. Even though we're walking in the wrong direction, even though we know the Bible in our head, we have a hard time seeing where God is at work in our lives. And Jesus rolls up, he sneaks up. Sometimes Jesus can be sneaky. You know, not sneaky in a devious kind of way, but sneaky in a sort of a, I didn't see that coming kind of way. He sneaks up on them and he opens the scripture to them. He has this way of sneaking up on people. And it's not creepy. You know, Jesus snuck up on death. Because the disciples on that Friday afternoon and everyone who was there at the foot of the cross saw a picture of death. They didn't know that God was disguising victory in death. They didn't know what they were actually looking at on the cross was a cosmic victory over death and hell and sin. Can you imagine the surprise of Satan and hell and all the demons who started drinking up and started partying down the minute Jesus gave up his spirit? They said, here he comes, guys. He's right there. Put him in that cell over there, that dead soul Jesus. Put him over there, and let's go, let's go party down. Break out the Jack Daniels or whatever it is you want to drink. The tequila, you know, whatever tequila in hell tastes like. And they, man, had a party. And then about, you know, who knows what... The third day, they hear a sound in the room where they put Jesus. And, and, they, and they see Jesus coming up, and he shows up right in the chambers where death and hell and demons are partying. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, I came for the keys. I came for the keys. And, and Satan is totally shocked, and death is totally surprised. And Satan looks at death and says, I thought you took care of this one. Death says, I did my best, man. I did my job. <laughs> and Jesus says, give me the keys. Give me the, you know what I'm talking about, right? Give me the keys. Jesus says in this, in this book of Revelation, he says, I am the living one. This is Jesus talking about himself. I am the living one. I was dead. He was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys. The keys represents access and authority. I hold the authority that death and hell used to have. Death doesn't have the final word. Hell doesn't have the final word. And if you know Jesus today, listen, you have a target on your back because hell can't drag you down to its place, but it will try to, put, the devil and his demons will try to put as much hell on you as they possibly can, this side of heaven. Remember who holds the keys. Take authority. Dig up that message that Pastor John preached a few weeks ago. Pray the prayer because Jesus holds the keys to death and hell. And if you hang with him, you can use those keys too. Jesus shows up and he says, gotcha. Snuck up on you like that. Even the resurrection was sort of a little sneaky thing. Yeah, he, he scared the Roman guards. There was an earthquake. There were angels. But after that, nothing. In fact, Jesus sneaks up on Mary Magdalene, and she thinks he's the gardener. He sneaks up on Cleopas and his wife on that road to Emmaus, and they think he's just some strange guy who knows the Bible. He sneaks up on his disciples later on in that room where they're hiding in fear, and he walks right through the door and says, hey, guys, it's me. 
He's sneaky. If Jesus can sneak up on y'all like that, these guys like that, now what makes you think he's not sneaking up on you today? Sometimes he sneaks up on you. It's not so obvious because sometimes God will sneak a little patience into your life through that teenage son or daughter. Come on now. Sometimes he'll sneak a little perseverance into your life through that persecution that you're experiencing at the hands and the words of your coworkers and family. Sometimes he'll sneak a little more diligence into your life through the disappointing thing that you just went through. You see what I'm saying? He sneaks up on us. He's a sneaky Jesus sometimes. <laughs> and listen, as much as he tried to sneak up on Cleo and his wife, they still didn't get it. So picture this with me. He's done giving them the lecture, man. He's, he's showing them in the, in the scriptures. This is me. And they, they still didn't get it. So they, watch this. They had the information, but they didn't yet have revelation. That's the key to your growth. Not more information. What you need is revelation. They had information. They even had some understanding, but something was keeping them from moving from understanding and information to revelation. Because it's only when you get revelation that you can experience transformation. How come I'm not changing, Pastor? How come none of this is, is, seems to be doing any good for me? Because at that point, it's just information to you. If you want more information, you can get it online. If you want information, you can go, well, it's not open anymore. They closed down Family Christian Bookstore. But you can, you can go to the bookstore. You can go to Barnes & Noble, and there's tons of information. Information doesn't necessarily lead to transformation, which is why you can sit in church every single week and still remain the same person and never change. You still love me? Because I've been here 14 years, I can say this stuff. <laughs> so, what happens to these guys? How does Jesus get them from... In, now, not to say that information is not important, because Jesus took three hours to give them information. But it's not until this last incident, this is where I want to camp today, that information begins to turn into revelation. They, they get to their house, and they say to Jesus... Stay with us, Jesus, because it's getting late. They don't know it's Jesus, but stay with us. This is typical Jewish hospitality. Stick around. It's getting dark. Spend the night. So Jesus pretends like he's going on, but then he says, okay, I'll stay. Now, when you invite someone into your house, who's the host? You are, right? You don't invite someone to your house and then tell them, okay, bring, bring the food, okay? That's like rude, right? <laughs> so... This is the cool thing. So they invite Jesus into the house, and Jesus goes, okay. But then Jesus takes over and assumes the role of host. He sits at the table. Watch this. When, they had when he had reclined at the table, it said he took bread, gave thanks, began to give it to them. The other word is blessed. So he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. And then watch, watch, watch. Information and understanding all of a sudden turn into revelation. Oh, 
I heard what he was saying. It sounded good in my head. In fact, my heart was burning in me as he was sharing the words with me, but I didn't see him until this moment. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. What Jesus does in this moment, this fourfold action, so great, help me out. Jesus took, say, take, take. He blessed the bread, then he broke the bread, then he gave the bread. So this fourfold action, taking, blessing, breaking, giving, reflects the pattern of God's dealing in your life. And I think it also reflects a pattern of our devotion to him. So this is where I'm going to make it real practical for you, okay? If someone today, or if I asked you today, um, Dan, what's, what's God doing in your life, right? Ricardo, what's God doing in your life? Got two Dans right here sitting next to <laughs> So you both looked at me. That was good. Um, Jed, what's God doing in your life, right? We would be like, mm, I don't know, right? I'm not sure how to answer that. I'm going to give you some words, some language to answer that. Because what we see Jesus doing here is reflective of what he does in our lives. Okay, so say it with me. Take, bless, break, give. Fourfold action. Watch this. Jesus takes the bread. Jesus will take whatever you bring to him. Our lives are taken in by him. Watch this. No matter how messed up you are, no matter how doubtful you may be or beaten up or lost, he will take it. Tell the person next to you, he'll take it. He'll take it. Yeah. You know, back in the 1980s, God took in a bunch of confused, broken, lost um, uh, ga- gang members in Los Angeles. That was how our church began. Like, like I don't know what would have happened if my dad said, you know what, uh, we can't have these kind of people in this church. I don't know what would have happened. We wouldn't be here today. We're here today because Jesus took broken lives, like on the fringe, gangsters, and saved them and started cleaning them up. He did that stuff. God will take whatever you give him, even if it's all messed up. Most of us want to clean it up before we give it to him. But that, that's, not the, that's not saving faith. Saving faith is when you bring what's ever messed up to, to him and you say, help me here. Get me cleaned up, Jesus, you see? He'll take what you bring to him. So put it in his hands. Put it in his hands. Don't keep it in your hands. He'll take what we bring to him. But not only that, there's a reciprocating action on our part, okay? So this is what God's doing. He's taking what we're bringing to him. But watch this. We also need to reciprocate. We need to take from him what he gives to us. Right? Oh, here, get, I'll take all my junk, Jesus. There it is. Just take it, and I'll just go on my own way. No, no, no. He wants to give you something back. Salvation. Healing. Character from sanctification. We call it sanctification is the theological. Him making you into a, him making you more like himself, character-wise. Okay? So we need to take, sometimes what we see God giving us isn't very pleasant. It's like bad-tasting medicine, and we don't want to take it, 
But I'm going to encourage you to receive what comes from God's hand. There have been seasons in my life where I've had to swallow some tough pills. And it required me swallowing some pride of mine as well to receive what God had to give me. And it came in a form that wasn't so easy to swallow. You know, especially when it involves relationships and tension and conflict. It's sometimes a tough pill to swallow what God is trying to give you. God's trying to build something in you. I'll talk about that a little more later. But take what he has to give you because he knows what's best for you. We were singing this song up here, and I was having a little bit of theological conflict because it says, you'll never, you're never going to let me down. Well, never going to let, right? Never going to let. It's a catchy tune. It's really cool. But listen, let's be real about it. That's true. That's true. But sometimes God does let us down. You know, you know why? It's okay for God to let me down when I want something that is not best for me. If your son came up to you, your daughter came up to you and said, Dad, you do that. You know this, okay, instinctively. I want to date that person. And you go, no. Would you just tell them, go for it. Just experiment. Try it out. See if it works. No, because you know that person. Especially if it's your daughter and it's a guy. You know what a guy's going through a guy's mind. So, well, no, let me, tell, let me see. And you go, no, 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 not that person. Well, you think your daughter's going to be disappointed? Of course she will. You let me down, Dad. Well, suck it up, girl. I'm doing what's best for you. <laughs> Until, of course, you on your own, which that's an arbitrary age. But this is kind of the Father's heart towards us, all right? You ask, is God, if you ask for a scorpion, is he going to give you a scorpion, right? He's going to give you, if you, if you want something that is not good for you, a good father says, no, that, I'm not going to give that to you. And yes, I'm going to deal with your disappointment. So take the medicine I'm giving you, says the Lord, even though it's not exactly what you would want or desire or what feels good right now, because it's best for you. Take it, all right? Swallow the pill, all right? Okay, it's a good one if it comes from God. All right, the next, the next part of this rhythm, God, Jesus takes, but here's the cool part. He also blesses what we give to him. Even when it comes broken, even when it comes all messed up, I've watched God put lives together, man. And you know, a lot of us, for a lot of us who've been in church a long time, we get this. We hear a lesson about what we should do, how we should live our lives, and we test it out, and it actually works. Like with tithing or giving to God, when you give to God for your first and your best and all that, that principle in life, he's going to bless you. When you walk in obedience to his commands by doing the loving thing, you're going to get blessed most of the time. And I've watched people go, Pastor, it works, man. We started, we started, you know, giving God our finances, our first, our tithes and all that stuff. And man, I don't know where the money's coming from. Oh, wow, we got out of debt. I didn't even know how we are going to do that. And, and you see the blessing of God. I've seen God do that. I've seen God um, bless people with, who, who said, I'm going to consecrate my life to the Lord and to the kingdom for a whole year. And I'm not going to date, I'm not going to do all this stuff, I'm going to consecrate my life to Jesus. And I've watched God bless those people with his presence. They're in love with Jesus like never before. You see, God blesses what we bring to him. But sometimes, sometimes, 
there are, t- there are seasons when we don't recognize that blessing. And so in those times when it seems like the blessing is long in coming, right? Because God's not a big vending machine in the sky. You get to drop some coins of obedience in and then he just shoots out blessing. He's not like that. He's not mecha- mechanical like that. He, he loves us and wants the best for us. Yes, and sometimes we have to walk through seasons where we don't get nothing. We don't experience any prosperity or we don't experience any blessing of this and that's answers to prayer. And so what we have to learn to do is realize that God wants a relationship with us no matter what. We learn what Pastor Bing was saying earlier, to be worshipers who bless him. You get it? And this is so important. Because everyone that I'm listening to nowadays, when they're looking at the church in America, they're saying the church has become consumeristic in its mentality. In other words, the church has become a purveyor of religious goods and services. We've come to receive something. We've come to get something from God. Out of the music, out of the preaching, out of the service. And that's not all bad, okay? But the priority should be when we come. We've come for him, no matter what he gives us. We know he's going to give us good things, even if they don't come packaged in good things. We know it's going to be good, so let's come with an attitude that says, Lord, I bless you. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Yes, even if you're going through a difficult time. Yes, if the world's falling apart around you, you can learn to bless his heart. So that's the reciprocating action. Jesus blesses what we give him, but he also wants to teach us how to bless his heart. Now, here's the kicker. We love the seasons of blessing, and we love the times when we give to God, and we know he's taken what uh, we've given to him. But often, God will move into this mode where he starts to break us. There's the taking, there's the blessing, and then there's the breaking. Christ will break us. Now, he won't break us. When I say break or broken, I'm not talking about you being damaged goods, okay? I'm not talking about the general brokenness that sin has brought into the world, and that the world is broken, and our lives are broken just because of sin. What I'm really talking about here is the process through which God deals with something in our character, in our nature, because he knows we won't get any further with him without dealing with it. It's the process of breaking and refining something in your character. Anybody ever ride a horse here in the room? Okay, some of you know how to ride horses, and some of you like horses. Dan and Mary, awesome. See, I I don't like horses because of the the experience that my wife had on a horse. It was really traumatic for me. Um, But I've heard that horses need to be broken. They need to be halter broken and saddle broken. And back, back in the day, they used to break horses and using all kinds of violent techniques and stuff and, you know, just forcing the horse to submit its will to the master until finally it was just, you know, broken down and it would just let you do whatever you want with it. Now, there was a guy back in the 1940s, I think he's still alive today, his name is Monty, uh, what's his name? Monty Roberts. And uh, he, he came up with this new method. It's still a little controversial, but it's really fascinating to watch. And I want to give you this picture today of b- breaking, how God breaks us. Monty Roberts came up with this, uh, this method of breaking horses, wild horses. And what he discovered by studying horses in the wild was that horses have this communication system. 
And the horse, need, a wild horse needs two things. They need to be in a herd. They need to be together with other horses. And they need to know who the leader is. Okay? So they're constantly looking for who's in the lead. And then the other thing about the horse is that uh, the horse's response to any kind of threat is called, is just to, to run. It's a flight animal. Okay? As human beings, whenever we're, we experience threat, what do we do? We either fight or we run. Okay? Fight or flight. Horses just run. They don't even fight. And in the horse's mind, the horse will run, they, the scientists have figured this out, for about a mile and a half. An, a mile and a half is when it psychologically feels that it's safe from whatever threat. Okay, so, so Monty uh, Roberts, what he'll do with the horse is he'll pick up on the communication system. He'll try to, to put the horse in a situation gently where it really feels it has no other choice but to submit. So he'll bring the horse into the corral. So picture this big circle, this big space with just a, you know, a round fence in it, right? It's just blocking everything. He brings the horse in. And he kind of gently threatens the horse. He throws a rope at the horse. And the horse, what do you think the horse does? He starts running away. And the horse, because there's nowhere else to run, he'll just run in circles like this. For about two minutes, he'll just run in circles. And then Monty will throw it the other direction. So the horse will turn around and run the other direction for two whole minutes, right? Until in the horse's mind, he's run about a mile and a half. About that point in time, the horse will start to lower its head. And the horse will start to tilt its ear. And what, what it's doing is it's saying, man, this is futile. I'm not getting anywhere. I've run my limit to where I thought it was safe, but it's not safe. And I'm looking for who's going to make me feel safe. And the only person in the ring is this dude who's throwing this rope at me. Could he be my leader? That's what the horse is thinking. And so after the horse begins to show these signs, this is the cool part. So Monty will come up right next to the horse, and he'll be walking alongside it, and he'll do what's called going passive. He'll turn his back, and he'll walk the other way to see if the horse of its own volition will follow him. And every single time, you can watch it on YouTube, it's really crazy, the horse will start following. He'll break out of his run, and what he's saying is, you're my leader. I submit to you. You can do whatever you see fit. I need you right now in my life to meet my need for a leader. And so he, he walks away and the horse follows. And from that point on, he can saddle, he can halter, and the horse will buck around a little bit, but the heavy lifting is over. Perfect submission. At that point, they, he calls that the horse joining up, joining up. You know, I, I, I sometimes think that the process is very similar in how God deals with us. You know, he, he knows we've got these things in us, and when he tries to confront them, what do we do? <laughs> no way! I don't want you to touch that part of my life, and we run, and we run, and we run, and God sticks around, and he keeps throwing that rope at us until we've run to the end of our rope. And at that point, sometimes I think God goes passive, and he wants to see if we will follow him.
God's never going to force us to follow him, you see. Or in this case, he wants to see how deeply we really want to change. You get it? He confronts something in our character. Son, daughter, you got that pride. You got that pride. And look where it's gotten you. It's destroyed a bunch of stuff in your life, in relationships. You've got that legalism still cropping up. You know, we, I need to deal with that. You've got that greed in you, that self-centeredness in you that needs to be broken. You've got that anger in you that keeps coming out and it's not healthy. And we run and we run and we run until finally we, we either we're so devastated or we get tired of running and we realize until I deal with this part of my character, I'm not moving any further with God. That's what he does to Jacob. Jacob, you can be a deceiver a little bit more, a little bit more. Okay, but now, now, you're going to need to wrestle with me because you can't continue to walk into your destiny and fulfill my promises over your life as a deceiver. So let's, let's get in the ring. Let's wrestle because I need to change something in you if you're going to keep moving forward. That's how God works. I hate to break the news to you. And it's sometimes excru- excruciatingly painful when God begins to break us. So <clears throat> let me give you an example. If someone ever came up to you and said, what's God doing in your life right now? We would, in, all, in this room, we'd all know what this is all about. Oh man, God, Jesus, he's taken me, man. I'm just giving stuff, to, I'm giving my life to Jesus. He's taken me. Oh, man, I've been obeying God. I've been watching the blessings roll. My relatives got saved. The money's rolling in. Man, it's great. I'm growing in God. It's blessing. Oh, awesome. And then we go, we don't have language for this one. We're just like, it's painful. I don't know what to think. So I have gout. Okay? You go ahead, laugh at me. It's okay. um, On Good Friday, I told everybody, you were there. I told everybody. I said, you know, my dad called me up and he said, oh, so you got gout. It hurts, huh? And he started laughing at me, right? And then, uh, then we started talking about medication that we're using and stuff. And, you know, you're getting old when you're talking to your old man about the same medication, you know. It's been three, almost three weeks now, actually three, rounding the corner into four, four weeks that I've had this condition. And... Um, when I realized that God wasn't healing me of the condition, and by the way, thank you for all of you who've been praying, because I believe in that, so I'm not taking anything away from that, but this has been off and on, right? It's been flaring up, and I've been like experimenting with my diet, and I knew on the inside that this is what God was doing with me. Right, let me just be vulnerable for a moment. God is breaking me, and I, Lord, I don't know how you're breaking me. What are you breaking in me? What is it that needs to change in me? I don't get it, because this sucks, I can't eat meat, no more protein. I can't eat like sweets, which I just found out, which is like my total weakness, you know, because I have a total sweet tooth. (laughs) And so this week, I'm like, all right, I haven't eaten meat, it's going good, and then I had another flare-up. And I'm like, man, where are the drugs at? You know, (laughs) where are the drugs at? But... um, my wife were reading this, uh, this thing about gout, and it says, one of the things that someone sent me here at the church was, uh, if you want to get rid of gout, you need to kick that sugar addiction. And that was like an arrow through my soul, man. 
Because I love chocolate. I love ice cream. You know? And so I'm just like in denial. And then those moments, so God, what God showed me was that the breaking process, he wanted to break me from going to anything, especially food, for my comfort. You know they call it comfort food? Let me tell you something, man. We all have our, our comfort foods, all right? God has been breaking me, and it's tough, from my unhealthy attachment to foods that give me psychological comfort. Is that vulnerable enough? <laughs> Say, thank you, pastor. He's human. But watch this. Watch this. What God wants us to learn is that in the times of breaking, we choose to trust him. We choose to find alternative. We choose to run to him for the comfort. And watch this. Sorry. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and all, and the God of what? Wait, wait, so you mean that I don't need to run to sex for comfort? I just switched from sex, food to sex, sorry, but that's, come on, let's get real. I don't, need to, I don't need to run to the next Netflix series for comfort. I don't need to run to all of that. I don't need to run to sports. I mean, you name it, pick your drug of choice. God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Now, why does he do that? So that you can feel good and sleep well at night? Well, hopefully you can, but it's more than that. So that we can comfort those in any trouble. Watch this. With the, with the, with the, with the advice we received from Dr. Phil or Oprah? No. We can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So if you haven't received the comfort from God, you got nothing to give. And if you don't run to the God of all comfort, and you run instead to other false things that will comfort you temporarily, then you really have no comfort to give to people who are in any trouble. Say, that's deep, Pastor. <laughs> all right, so this is why he does it. When God brings you through the breaking, when he starts to break you like he's breaking me now, he's going after something in your character. He's saying, I need to tame that pride. I need to tame that anger. I need to tame your self-centeredness. So go through the process with me. Yes, it's painful, but if you choose to trust me through it, then I am preparing you to be given away. Now, I know that doesn't sound all that appealing, but what Jesus wants for you is abundant life. Remember that verse? The thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have and have it more. Why? So I can enjoy an abundance? No. So you can give out of the abundance to people who need life. He's breaking you because he's getting ready to give not just to give you away, to give his life away through you. You know how you know when you've been broken and when it's worked? Is you actually look more like Jesus in that place of your life. People around you, your, your spouse, your husband, your wife, your kids, the people that know you the most, they'll start looking at you going, I don't know how to relate to you anymore, man. You're not as like, you're not as like 
greedy as you used to be. You're not as prideful as you used to be. Yeah, you're different now, man. Like, you don't get angry anymore when you, when you hear that happen or you see that happen. You don't, like, you know, flip that person off on the freeway when they cut you off anymore. You see, and the people see the change. And they realize what they're really saying is you become a little more like Jesus. Jesus is preparing to give you away. If you will walk through the breaking process with him. Because what you give away to others is always going to be what you yourself have received from God. And it's not just information. That's good. Information and tools is awesome. It's great. It's what we do here too. But it's more than that. It's life-giving. And it's nourishing to people because of the way you trust God. And people feel safe with you. And people come to you and say, you got something. And I want it. This is the work of God's dealing in your life. And this is the way we respond to him. He takes us. And we take from him what he gives us. He blesses us and we learn to bless him back. Then he refines our character and breaks us and says, I want you to move further and along with me so I gotta deal with some stuff in your life. And we choose to trust him through that. And then the beautiful part. And now, are you ready to be given? Are you ready to be given? For some of you, are you ready to serve God now? Out of the abundance of what he's taught you, what you've received from him, I can serve, I can give my life away. This is what we are as a church. New Life Harbor City, we're a church that's being taken by Jesus, being blessed by Jesus, being broken by Jesus, and being given to a world that needs the bread of life. Where are you at today? Let me ask you again, where is God at work? What's he doing in your life? Now you have some language. Is he taking you? Are you learning to take from him? Is he blessing you? Are you learning to bless him? Maybe he's breaking you. And you've been running away. I tell people over the years, when I see God breaking people, refining their character, not letting them get away with stuff anymore, right? When you see that happen, and then I see people over the years go, get to that point, God deals with them, they say, Pastor, we're going to another church. Fine. Go right ahead. Be my guest. So that God will bring it up again at the next church you go to. Deal with it now or deal with it later. God, the hound of heaven, is going to deal with it. Spare yourself some heartache and some other people some heartache too. <laughs> Let God break you because he's getting ready to give you. And you know, giving is really about the abundance of the overflow of what God does in you. You just become that, that you're, it's being given away. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.